Uh, welcome to a special of the British Broadcasting Century podcast. It's a bizarre special, if I'm honest. I was hoping to bring you 100 years and 100 minutes, but it's mid-edit, and it's probably the most ambitious thing that I've ever done, and that includes raising two children. So while we wait for that, while that's cooking, I thought I can't possibly leave this centenary period unpodcasted. And so this episode, well, two rather exciting and yet rather different approaches to the BBC 100 season. One is our fantastic guest, Roger Bolton, formerly editor of BBC's Panorama, former presenter of Radio 4's Feedback. He may have just left the BBC against his own wishes, but he is back with his own equivalent of Feedback. Roger Bolton's Beeb Watch is a podcast that you need to listen to, and you'll hear why in my chat with Roger. But also, we want to be in celebratory form, and so I've found three poems, actually, from the glory days of the BBC. Plus recommendations from the BBC 100 season and the tale of one olive bottle from Dr. Kate Murphy. We celebrate the BBC past, present and future here on the British Broadcasting Century. Hello, hello, this is Paul Carenza calling. This is London calling. Hello, hello, welcome to the British Broadcasting Century. Happy centenary aren't you be you find us in centenary season here and uh, yeah i couldn't leave the season unpodcasted although there's probably the biggest gap between episodes because i've undertaken the mammoth task of trying to bring you a hundred years of british broadcasting in a hundred minutes and it turns out the edit of that is somewhat large so that will come to you and your ears in the next uh, week or so hopefully before november the 14th which is of course centenary day itself. But we find ourselves in BBC 100 season and if you're listening roundabout nowish or nearish nowish then there are great things to be found on iPlayer and BBC Sounds. I wanted to point them uh, to you really so that you can enjoy them while they're still there because they are dropping off like flies. Barry Humphrey's marvellous Radio 2 show reflecting on forgotten musical masterpieces was the most glorious thing to listen to but alas BBC Sounds has made it expire too soon so do grab these things if you can while you can my recommendations I've been trying to scour as much as possible on the BBC 100 season I think Radio 3 has owned it really their soundscape of a century incredible eight hours of a wonderful archive and music Amazing, highly recommended. Awesome Radio 3, you can find Dr. Andrea Smith with Samuel West uh, uncovering the history of Shakespeare on the BBC, the Bard and the Beeb, or the Beeb and the Bard. Uh, on TV, Kids TV with Connie Huck. I thought that was a marvellous documentary. Really looking at how children's television has been at the forefront, doing things before the adult TV gets behind it, really, in terms of diversity. Um, George, the latest CBeebies presenter who has Down syndrome. And even since that went on air, Hey Dougie, the preschoolers TV show, has had a Ukrainian special, including a marvellous welcome song, a crossover between some Ukrainian animated characters who've come over to British television to welcome Ukrainian guests. Incredible that children's TV does these things. So that's uh, Connie Huck's documentary, highly recommended. Um, back on radio, you've got The Skewer from John Holmes. That's a marvellous mashup uh, in a comedic take, which may have done something which, well, Harry Enfield's uh, TV comedy uh, retrospective, that was on as well. Um, but like on radio, Archive on 4 has always been marvellous. 
Atlas and Jim Naughty's had a marvellous uh, retrospective looking at news for the last hundred years. I was on the media show with uh, Professor Gene Seaton and many others. That was great. Mark Damza, uh, Emily Bell. Well, it was great to be on that uh, discussing a hundred years and how it was radio back then in the early days. Uh, as for the, the forefront of things on television, well, I suppose the flagship documentary, John Bridcut's How the BBC Began. I helped research it two marvellous programmes, 90 minutes each. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. There were parts of that that I hadn't seen yet, but things like uncovering the story behind Churchill's one and only TV appearance was incredible. If you don't see it, then you're missing out. So do have a look for that on iPlayer. How the BBC began. Uh, there's an Una Marson docudrama, and then the, the mainstays, the big um, trailered shows, Strictly. There's some two new specials, had them dancing to TV themes. That was okay, I thought. Antiques Roadshow from Alexandra Palace. That was nice as well. I did enjoy that. And then you've got things like the Doctor Who centenary special, the Repair Shop centenary special, which I thought were great on their own terms. But there were absolutely no nods on either, really, to the past hundred years of the BBC. But that's what we're here for. And also later on, some poems. More will be explained after our guest, Roger Bolton. Formerly of Radio 4's Feedback, and he's now launched Roger Bolton's Beeb Watch. So from BBC past to BBC present and future. Uh, we'll have uh, Roger on the podcast a few times, but for now, here's your first taste of why and how Roger Bolton thinks we need to be having a careful and considerate eye on the BBC. Delighted to welcome to the podcast now a man who's been uh, broadcasting and making television radio uh, for many years now, uh, Roger Bolton. Thank you for joining us, Roger. A pleasure. Thank you. By the way, many years. Uh, I think I joined the BBC. I'm terrified to say this. 55 years ago as that a 21-year-old. Yes, I know wow. it can't be, but it's unfortunately true. Wow. In its, in its first half of a, of a century. That's incredible. There you I are. Screw, yeah, I scraped in, yeah, just in the first half. Look at that. Look at that. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go back and maybe we'll look at... Uh, I'd be fascinated to know a bit about what you've... Uh, your contributions to the BBC over the years and, and other broadcasters, but also your attitude to the BBC today. Um, but I, I should bookend this conversation by saying about your fine podcast, Roger Bolton's Beeb Watch, which um, is it fair to say it picks up where picks up where feedback left off to a degree? To um, a degree, it proves that there is life after death, and um, you know I'm, I'm somewhere in the stratosphere, halfway to heaven or something, or maybe to hell. Yes. Well, no. What it was, what it was, apart from the fact that I'm, you know, obviously fairly egotistical, i.e., thinking the world might want to hear from me, um, it was genuinely that I felt that one of the problems with feedback, and I'm a great supporter of it, and it's got a good new presenter was that the BBC was not putting up enough people to be accountable, and the BBC more generally was not being sufficiently open with those who pay for it, the licence fee payers. So I wanted to try and correct a bit of that. And the other thing is, I think now the next two years are fundamental for public service broadcasting. I mean, the BBC's latest um, settlement, uh, licence fee settlement, was for two years frozen and then going up with the rate of inflation. Well, anybody who thinks it's going to go up with the rate of inflation is for the birds. With the problem the government's got, no. So what you've got is, a, for the first time in this history, the BBC significantly contracting. And my concern was the public ought to have a say on what goes. You can't have a situation where the public has to pay a licence fee and then sees the things it cares about taken away and things it doesn't care about remaining. So I thought there's a role there of just trying to get that more open debate. And I think it coincides with the question of the future of Channel 4, because although uh, the alternative, as it were, television public service broadcaster, because although Channel 4 is not now likely to be privatised, there's a real issue 
I think, about what its brief should be. And in the end, I thought, we mustn't get in a situation where we just defend the BBC or attack it. Actually, this is about public service broadcasting. The BBC is a means to an end. It's been the best means to the end. It was the only means to the end when it started off. So the question is today, the best means, is it the best means? I still think it is. But I think we need a proper debate about public service broadcasting, then how we're going to organise it, how we're going to pay for it. And what I fear is there won't be such a debate. The BBC will do or deal with the government, become more commercial. Channel 4 will be ultimately be privatised. And a whole raft of things that are desperately important to people, not least radio, may suffer. It's arrogant for me to assume I'd do anything about that, but I could create space for some of that. More from Roger shortly. But I was wondering, well, how else could we celebrate the BBC centenary? How about some poetry? It's what Arthur Burroughs wanted for the original London Tuolo station. Poetry and the higher class of arts. Well, I happen to have seen and been handed and generally gathered three poems about or written in early broadcasting. And I thought I would present these three throughout this episode. So here, in chronological order, is the first. I spotted this in the marvellous book With God on Our Side by Ian Robertson. It's a comparative study of religious broadcasting in Britain and America. And right at the back, from the Daily Telegraph in Sydney on 30th of September 1927, a poem by Eric H. Palmer. I am radio. I am a university in your room. I am an opera sung by your fireside. I am an orchestra to set your feet a-dancing. I am a band to enthuse your musical soul. I am an orator whose eloquence holds you still. I am a violin recital rendered by a master at your side. I am a statesman conferring with you on the nation's needs. I am a diplomat voicing a foreign friendliness. I am a doctor coming to your home without charge. I'm a banker watching your laid-away pounds. I'm a leader of industry, analysing the economic trend. I'm a newspaper describing events as they happen. I am a drama played in your parlour. I'm a debate where you hear both sides of the day's problems. I'm a football game with thrills by the score. I'm a boxing championship with a seat at the ringside. I'm a governess teaching your children each day. I'm a scientist revealing wonders that you know not of. All these I am and more. I'm a patriot kindling a new love of country. I'm a preacher, reawakening your faith in human nature. Yes, poor, foolish men, just call me radio. And another pop-up poem later on. With a bit of an arm's reach from the BBC as well, then there's perhaps more of an opportunity to uh, to be able to ask those questions f- without having to do it from within BBC Towers, I suppose. It is, but the problem is the BBC feels so uh, under attack, you know, always from the mail, the telegraph, everything else. And, and to be honest, a lot of presenters, when they do lose their job, go and bleat to the mail and take a fee for doing so. That it's difficult to sort of, as it were, constructively criticise. But the alternative to not constructively criticise is that the BBC goes on and just, well, you have to, as it were, support every decision it takes. It's going to be taking some really controversial decisions, and I think we should be free enough to say, we think that's a wrong cut. I mean, you remember, ironically, this present Director General, who's very good, by the way, but anyway, was in charge of radio, uh, what, 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, when they tried to kill off Six Music. Mm. And uh, it was only the public <laughs> that stopped mm. them. Well, the public may have to stop them again. Well, very true. And, uh, you know, on this podcast, we particularly were dwelling a lot in the early 1920s and uh, things like the, the the daily service we mentioned on the previous episode, 
was a result, you know, the longest running version of its of its kind in the world and is the result of a two year campaign from one listener. And eventually they listened to her and thought, all right, well, come on, we'll give you yeah. a daily service, you know. So yeah. sometimes we might need to get our pens out again and start persisting and not taking no for an answer. I don't know. Well, I think in the end, the public, and I think we're actually as a society, maybe we're all waking up to this in a, in a range of ways, which is that, you know, no longer do the political parties accurately represent us. I'm not sure that's entirely their fault, but the arguments are, I mean, the argument used to be about socialism versus capitalism. That's gone now. It's basically whatever anybody says, an argument about how to manage capitalism in the best and fairest way. It's also a society where so many things are out of our control, certainly in finance and economic areas. What isn't out of our, what isn't out of our control is our culture. And if we look at things that matter, I mean, take the World Service. Okay, it's um, BBC World Service is an element of soft power. Let's not be naive. It was paid for by the Foreign Office and it was promote British interests. But actually, what in a world full of totalitarianism and the you know Fox-like or Trump-like society, I mean, it is a beacon of light. So I would say that is something we can't offer the world much now, but we can offer them that. Why shouldn't we? Equally for our society, when you look at how um, fragmented it is, uh, and it may be more fragmented, who knows whether the United Kingdom will remain united. Um, this is a place, the BBC provides a place for us to debate and discuss, or should do, openly about things. That's worth preserving. Well, as you said, the World Service um, is our... Uh, the, the, the window to the world for many of many people and their attitudes to Britain and the BBC and it does look like it's in danger of shrinking the I heard on your on Beatwatch podcast uh, just just recently how the number of languages being offered um, may be at, at risk and uh, we are are we looking then at a shrinking BBC do you think as a, as a whole since our chat local radio cuts have been announced and the closing of buildings like Manchester's Bridge House and London's Wogan House, with probably more to come. We're undoubtedly looking at shrinking BBC. Um, I mean, in some ways, that's inevitable. Uh, you know, 100 years ago, there was no other way to get broadcasting going. And even 50 years ago, I think it was, I'll get slightly wrong, but you only had two television channels. You know, BBC Two didn't come along to the early 60s, Channel 4 didn't come along to 1982, I think. And then, of course, you have the explosion of a whole range of other channels. So there are. So the BBC had to do everything once. It doesn't have to do everything now, although the problem is if it has a license fee, it feels it has to because it has to satisfy everybody. So maybe we'll need to look after the funding again. Maybe we need to look at a situation where there's a basic license fee to cover certain agreed things, news, um, uh, children's programming, some educational things, provision for um, disabled, things like that. Um, mainly to look at a basic package that everybody has to pay so that it happens. And maybe then you have two or three other bundled subscriptions, much cheaper than would be available for Disney or anything else. But I think the key thing is those packages have to be public service packages as well. I mean, do we need the BBC to compete with Game of Thrones? No, we don't, do we? Uh, and anyway, Netflix, whose share price, by the way, is still down, um, Netflix has to get an international audience. And what we want from a British broadcasting organisation is one of the things we want is British, young, the place where we can talk to ourselves about ourselves and where young writers and others can uh, experiment and where people in on the fringes of society who have something to say should be let in. If you don't, by the way, 
let people in and, and have a post of public discourse, then they turn to violence. So there's a whole raft of reasons why mm. we should be preserving that place. Yeah, wow. I, I, wasn't that, st- that statistic about Lord of the Rings, the Amazon Prime series, cost more for that entire series than the entire BBC Two budget of last year or yeah. something along those lines? So it's, yeah. it, when you try and compete, it's, it's impossible. Well, yeah. why compete with that, though? I mean, there's so many areas to compete with uh, about ourselves. And, of course, we shouldn't be parochial. We shouldn't become parochial. But maybe we have to do small-scale stuff. I mean, for example, you know that wonderful film that won a documentary for the actress about so many billboards outside, whatever, Missouri? Mm. Oh, three billboards, yes. Yeah, Yeah, written by yeah. a wonderful Irish writer. Um, which, why don't we do things like that rather than mm. worry about doing Game of Thrones? Tough times ahead, but let's look back with another poem about ye old BBC. From August 1928, this was published in the Radio Times, and I first saw this as part of Jeremy Summersley's marvellous lecture on early broadcasting at Gresham College. This is by Miss Lillian L. Cornelius, and this poem earned her a guinea from the Radio Times. Dear Sir, I certainly agree with those who praise the BBC. A pair of phones, a crystal set, ten bob a year. For this I get a store of knowledge, wealth of fun. To cheer me when the day's work's done. Whatever other folk may say, I thoroughly enjoy a play. While comedy and bright reviews are just the things to banish blues. Lowbrow I'd be considered as, because I'm rather fond of jazz. But highbrow too, I love each note of music, which great masters wrote. By foreign talks I strive to learn. I'm there when opera takes its turn. For weather forecasts, news reports. For talks on travel and on sports, when Mr. Baldwin takes the air, or when the prince is in the chair. I listen in, by Greenwich time, I set my watch, and Big Ben's chime. I listen to the church bells ring, I hear the congregation sing, and from the broadcast pulpit glean comfort from him who speaks unseen. Oh, give to me the happy mind, oh, give me the contented kind, that pleasure, knowledge, wealth will find, whatever be the programme. From August 1928. We can be a critical friend to the BBC, but is what do you think the BBC gets right or has got right? What are your are there any particular to end on a note of positivity? If we uh, dare uh, just, attempt yeah. it, right? Well, it got the <laughs> well, it got the funeral of the Queen brilliantly right. I think, mind you, as uh, it was rehearsed and rehearsed so they should, but it was fabulously done. I also thought they got the balance better than they did with the Duke of Edinburgh when the coverage was just over the top. I mean, they still do. Endless hours of programming where people don't have anything to say and they're asked how they feel and so on. But I thought they did that brilliantly. I think there are a vast range of documentaries which are wonderful. I think the present political crises and so on, the new BBC political editor, Chris Mason, has been sensationally good, well-informed, pithy, and not afraid to tell it as it is and to say what he thinks and, and, all, and he's got it right so far. So I think that's been absolutely magnificent. I could uh, perhaps lyrical also about the reporting from Ukraine elsewhere. Some of that's been wonderful. So I think that's in pretty, pretty good order. Um, but I just tell you what the final thing I think is this. I want. I don't know if these. I can't think of the right words to use. But too much of television and documentary now um, is, as it were, um, simply making a program out of a book, regarded as an original medium. And um, a lot of documentaries are also edited the same way. As if they're so terrified we won't watch for more, you know, uh, they put everything in the first two minutes. Mm-hmm. So you find, and then, so there's no excitement in a revelation of, you know, halfway through you thought this was the case, so no. Um, so I, I get a bit fed up with the, that. But also I just want people to say television 
and radio. Radio is, so I mean, obviously. Well, I think two things. One is television can be an original medium. People should have more confidence in it being that, not just replicating or, or what's going on elsewhere uh, or being a second resource. And the other thing I feel overall is Radio 4 is sounding thinner. Um, it's still wonderful, but it's sounding thinner. Radio budgets have been cut. They're ridiculous. You know, budget for about for feedback would be about five thousand pounds a half hour. Mm. Uh, there is no representative of at the top table of radio. Charlotte Moore, I think, is pretty good, but she represents all content. Radio needs something to fight for, but there's an awful lot, brilliant amount, worth fighting for. But it's starting to slip away. Mm. So let's have a proper debate about how we fund it. I mean, how ludicrous would it be? If somebody started to cut back even further on radio, when there are a lot of people who play the license fee just for it, mm, but they don't have the opportunity. One more pop-up poem for you. This was sent to me by Simon Vaughan, the archivist at Alexandra Palace Television Society. Thank you, Simon. And it's written by Mrs. Olive Bottle. Now, she signs it, Widow of Sea Bottle, Assistant Engineer in Charge, London Control Room Broadcasting House, written in 1982. But Olive Bottle... She should be signing it as herself because she was one of the very first at the BBC. She was there on the phone to John Reith, putting through calls at the very earliest one-room BBC. And when she met Mr Bottle, the engineer, and went off to be married, John Reith mourned her loss and I believe even tried to get her back again. Before her poem, more on Olive Bottle from Dr Kate Murphy, author of Behind the Wireless, A History of Early Women at the BBC. I love the story of, of Miss May, you know, Olive May, who's on that switchboard, the first switchboard operator. And um, she, uh, at some point, she, over, the, over the wire, she's chatting to Cecil Bottle, who is, I think, in Leicester. He is, you know, an, an engineer over the, over, the, over the lines. And they fall in love over the, oh. over the phone lines and get married. And um, Ruth is incredibly, you know, upset when Mrs Bottle, Olive May becomes Mrs Bottle. And, and, and obviously, she, well, she leaves. She didn't have to leave. She did leave. Uh, and you know, even to the extent that, you know, his wife, Reese's wife has to phone up and apologise because Reese has been so rude and upset about losing his star employee. And he's, he, I think he even takes Ecclesley to task and says to Peter Ecclesley, what's happening? This is outrageous. You know, one of your chaps is marrying my, <laughs> my switchboard <laughs> operator. So it became quite a big deal, you know, this wow. falling in love over the phone uh, phone line. But interestingly, Olive, although she was married, she, does, she did come back in 1931 briefly when they were setting up Alex on um setting up broadcasting house to set up help set up the telephone system in broadcasting house so she does come back as mrs bottle briefly but in 1982 for the 60th anniversary of the bbc olive bottle wrote this poem in the early days of 23 savoy hill welcomed the bbc the embryo staff but all very keen in this new wireless venture almost a dream to a low call sign, valve sets and crystals, Savoy Hotel bands and BBC minstrels, SOS messages, 7 o'clock news. No news at 1 o'clock. Newspapers refuse. Sunday the Sabbath. Keep it sedate. No programme start until Sunday at 8. Who was it who planted the acorn beneath? No other than Mr John Charles Walsham Reith. How it grew, how it grew, so majestic and wise, emerging uniquely the pride of the skies. And 60 years later, what began as a dream, the BBC is an oak tree, now stands supreme. 
Well, whether it stands supreme or not, or will in future, let's keep a loving eye on Auntie Beeb, shall we? From here on this podcast about BBC Past, and from Roger Bolton's Beebwatch podcast on BBC Present and Future. Do subscribe and listen to uh, his fine podcast there. He's got some great interviews there with uh, David Dimbleby, Joan Bakewell, countless others to come as well, I know. And Roger will be keeping a very careful eye on all of the, yes, changes that will be occurring on the BBC over the next couple of years. Thank you, Roger, for joining us this episode. And thank you, Dr. Kate Murphy, as well, for your contributions to the Olive May, Olive Bottle story. So it has been a rather reflective mood, this podcast. Celebratory, yes, but also concerned for the future. And I was going to save Roger's interview until next year, but in the light of the news about the changes, let's call them cuts, shall we, to local radio broadcasting, all of that happened, of course, after I spoke to Roger, and I know he'd have a thing or two to say about that as well. Yes, it did seem the time that although we are looking back and celebrating, we also need to be considering what the changes will be to the BBC going forward. And maybe indeed we might have to make a bit of a fuss about it, those things we particularly enjoy and treasure. We'll be back into celebratory mood next episode as we have the first of our 100 Years in 100 Minutes special. So next time you will hear 33 minutes of... The BBC from 1922 to 1954 and we'll follow that with 55 to 88 and then 89 to 2022 here on the British Broadcasting Century in the British Broadcasting Centenary. The British Broadcasting Century podcast presented and produced by me Paul Carenza. Original music is by Will Farmer. If you enjoy what you listen to make sure you subscribe and if you really enjoyed you can support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Paul Carenza and that helps keep us in business don't you know. A freer way to support us is to share what we do on social media. Tell your friends, send a carrier pigeon. Whatever you do, spread word of us. We are a one person machine here. Stay informed, educated and entertained. Happy birthday Auntie Beeb and join us next time for the 100 Years in 100 Minutes special. It will be next time, I promise.